witnessed through the eyes of Matthew and the disciples the transfiguration. When Jesus took the three, James, um, Peter, and John, up on the mountain, and the glory of God was revealed inside of Jesus, and it began to shine. Um, we, we got to see this through their eyes, and then along comes Moses and Elijah sitting, standing next to Jesus, and the disciples are just struck in awe. And then the voice of God speaking above his son, this is my son, I am pleased, listen to him. You have this momentous occasion, this transformation in not just Jesus, but in the disciples. You have this realization that he is who you thought he was. And so it's time to begin. And then something odd happens. Jesus says, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody about this yet. Before we get to that, let's get to somebody else that's brought up. Moses and Elijah are both there. They're both thought of very highly in the world of Judaism, um, especially at this time. It was believed that Moses was the epitome of all of the law, the greatness, the peak, the pinnacle of what you could be. For someone, a judge, someone under the, who delivered the law. And, and Elijah was the same pinnacle peak for the voice of God, a prophet. And so you have these two, two men who were revered show up. Now, Elijah was said to be the one who would come first before the Messiah. Said to be the one who would be the forerunner. The word that is used often. Who would come before. Now, where does this come from? Well, it comes from the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, one of the Old Testament prophets, says that before the terrible day of the Lord, that word terrible, it's important for this story, before the terrible day of the Lord, when Jesus comes back, the Messiah comes back and wipes clean all those who stand against him, before that, Elijah will come. And it was believed that Elijah wouldn't just come going, he's cut. He wasn't like the Paul Revere of the time, you know, one if by land, two if by God. You know, it was, he was coming. He was coming and he was going to come hard and he was going to come and wipe out people before Jesus would have a chance to do it. Now, where do they get this kind of history and belief? Well, in the first book of Kings, the story that, re- that recounts the story of Elijah and his life, First uh, Kings, Second Kings, thereabouts. But in First Kings, there is a story of um, when Elijah kills some people, 450 prophets. What happens is this: there's a big drought going on in Israel at the time. I know that you find that hard to imagine what must have been like to live during a time of drought. But they hadn't had rain in a while, is what that means, for those of you that don't know. Um, and it was kind of a time of desperation. And, and so they would look to other things, and, and they began to, to not just look to God. They strayed once again, as the people of Israel always did, and started worshiping other gods. One of those gods was the god of Baal, Baal, however you want to pronounce it. Now, um, this god had 450 prophets. The king of the time, Ahab, and Jezebel, his, his lady, made sure that all the prophets of the Lord, the one God, were gone. Except for one, 
Elijah was left. Now, it comes to a period of time where you have uh, this period of desperation. Elijah comes and he says, look, let's have a contest. Let's find out who is once and for all the one true God. So they go up on a mountain and he gets all of the prophets, 450 um, from Baal, 400 from Asherah. They go up and he says, look, I want you to take a bull, to sacrifice the bull on your altar to your God, to set it up with the wood and everything, but don't start the fire. I'm going to do the same thing. Then we will call to our gods and we will ask our God to light the fire. Whichever God does so is the one true God. Everybody's like, well, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do this. So they go through with it. They go through the motions of uh, the 450 prophets of Baal go and they get their bull and they set it up and they build the, fi- the build the wood there and they, uh, they slaughter the bull and they start praying. Oh, Baal, bring forth your fire, set fire to this wood, the offering that we've given you. And they just go on and on and on. Nothing's happening. Part of their worship, part of their calling out to their God is to cut themselves. So they begin to cut themselves with knives and swords. There's blood everywhere. They scream loud and loud, louder, but nothing happens. One of the reasons why I like Elijah is right here. He begins to mock them. I just find that funny. He's like, oh, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe, and this is in the trip, maybe he's relieving himself. You know, maybe he stepped out to the bathroom and he can't hear you yet. Maybe he's just asleep. Maybe you should just yell louder. They're like, that sounds like a great idea. They start yelling louder. And nothing happens. And then it's his turn. And it comes to the point of the day when it would be appropriate to have a sacrifice. And he builds an altar because the altar to God had been torn down. And he takes 12 stones, one representing each of the 12 tribes, and makes his altar. And he prepares the wood and then he puts the slaughtered bull on top and he digs a trench around the altar. And he tells, to, he tells some people, go get four large jars, fill them with water. And pour them on top of the altar. So they do it. Go do it again. Go do it again. So they do it a few times. And by this time, everything's just soaking wet. And the trench is overfilling with water. And then he goes, God, light the fire. And fire comes down from heaven. Whoosh. The sacrifice catches on fire and it begins to burn. All the water disappears because of the amount of fire and heat that is there. What do you think the people did? Really? Nothing? They bowed down. They're <laughs> like, dude, that is the God. And they bowed down and they worshiped God. So Elijah takes the 450 prophets down into a valley, kills them all. He didn't play around. You didn't mess with Elijah. So here is this man who was known for being a vo- the voice of God, that God would speak through him. He was known for being tough, for not putting up with worship to anything other than God. And it was believed that he would come back before the Messiah. It was believed because of that verse from Malachi. The prophetic voice of Malachi saying, 
he will come back and prepare the way for the Messiah. So the scribal law and tradition was that he would come back and he would take care of business. By the time the Messiah got there, he just had to step into a world that was pretty much done and go, this looks nice. Because Elijah was going to do most of the heavy lifting. So we have Matthew 17, verse 9. As they descended the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until I, the Son of Man, have been raised from the dead. His disciples asked, Why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus replied, Elijah is indeed coming, first to set everything in order, but I tell you, he's already come, but he wasn't recognized, and he was badly mistreated, and soon the Son of Man will also suffer at their hands. Then the disciples realized he had been speaking about John the Baptist. You see, we get in our mind the way that God should work. We have in our mind from tradition, from history, from whatever it is, from people telling us, from our own ideas of how God should operate. The Jews had in their mind the way God should operate because of what they knew and what they expected. Time and time again, God says, no, that's not how I operate. They were looking for a military leader to come in. They were looking for Elijah and the Messiah to come in and just destroy anyone who stood against them. And Jesus is like, that's not how I operate. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago that the book by Lewis Carroll, Alice in the Looking Glass. If I want to get from here to there, I don't walk that way. I walk the other way. You do the opposite of what you think. Do the opposite of what the world tells you. This is what Jesus does. The reasonable thought would have been to militarily take over. Because that's what the Jews have been trying for years, generations. And hundreds of thousands of people had died in their futile attempts. But Jesus says, no. I come bringing a new message. Of love. And sacrifice. Something completely different. The disciples were looking for all of the signs and and that's what they'd been taught. And Jesus is like, it's happened. You've missed Elijah. He's come and gone. And now I'm here. But he says, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone until I'm raised from the dead. Now, the disciples still don't have the same vision that we have because they haven't experienced the cross. So they're. The three disciples see this transfiguration, this amazing moment. They hear the voice of God. They're blown away. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to go tell the other disciples and everybody else about it, right? But that might have started things in an improper way. That might have caught a wildfire to an area that was in drought and didn't need it. Jesus needed to operate in the way that he needed to operate. So often we, we want to operate in the way we operate and not the way he does. We want to choose our path for ourselves instead of listening for his voice, for guidance and direction. We want to carry things, as Daryl said, just because we can, 
even though maybe we shouldn't. We want to lead instead of serve. One of the things that John the Baptist said is, I must become less and he must become more. I must become less. I must become humble. I must fade into the shadows so that God can get the glory. I was speaking with somebody about this not too long ago, about uh, leadership styles and how successful leaders in different businesses and, and things operate. And we were talking about this servanthood style of leadership that Christ puts out there for us. Serving the people that work for you. And he was thinking that that wouldn't necessarily work. And I'm like, I don't know. I guess you got to have the right people around you. But the way that God sets up this whole scenario is that Christ served his disciples. If you remember at the Last Supper, he took the lowliest position and washed the feet of his disciples. He stood underneath them, even though he was greater. Daryl brought this uh, teaching back to us from, from California. And, and it's uh, this church out there, the, the head pastor of the church is very well known around the world. Um, written some books, his teachings are, are very like broad and everywhere. And he's a, a great guy with uh, um, great authority. But the way he set his church up is that he's at the bottom and he pushes everyone else up. He brings pastors in, people in, and he teaches them, and he loves them, and he trains them, and he says, and go, I will support you in whatever way you need. Bring glory to God in the way that you can. And so he lifts them up. Instead of being this hierarchical thing where he is the one voice, he's the one at the bottom. That's the way that Jesus did it. Jesus trained his disciples and said, there's going to be a time when I'm gone and you're going to do amazing things in my name. I'm not going to be the one doing it. You are. You're going to bring people from the dead. You're going to heal them. You're going to speak in tongues. You're going to have access to power that is greater than the power that I have. If you remember what Jesus says when he sends the spirit, he says, what? I got to go because somebody stronger is coming in. And you will have that power. You will have that power to change the world. You will have that power to bring light into dark situations. To bring healing where it is needed. But sometimes we're like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I know the path of my life. I know the things I should be doing and saying and the place where I should be going. And I have a vision for my life. And you know what? Most of the time our vision for our life is not as big as the vision that God has for us. God has tremendous things in store for us if we do it for him and for his glory. If we let ourselves live in his world and not ours. If we realize that he has the authority and the power. We become less. He becomes more. People stop seeing us and they begin to see him. They stop hearing our words and they begin to hear his words. I got to tell you, anybody ever done anything in the name of the Lord? You can raise your hand if you have. How'd that feel? Yeah. 
You know, a lot of times we leave this service and it's always a, a, a period of solemnness. We have a time of reflection and prayer and reflection and prayer is great. But sometimes, you know, we maybe should party a little. You know, we, we maybe should make an exit that changes people's minds about who God is. We maybe should leave the building a little bit on fire the way that Elijah left the world. Remember that story? How did Elijah leave the world? Didn't die like a normal person died because he's Elijah. He's walking along with his protege. Up comes this chariot on flames, horses on fire, hops in, gone. That's an exit. That's a statement about something, right? On fire for the Lord. A lot of times we leave here quietly, reverently, which is good. Sometimes we carry that with us in the rest of the week. And we don't talk about God at all. We don't do anything for God's glory. Because we left him here. Nobody puts God in a box. God doesn't live here. God dwells here, yes, but he lives everywhere and here. And wherever we go, he is with us, wanting us to do glorious, magnificent things in the name of the Lord. Wanting us to set people's hearts on fire for him. To lose themselves in praise and worship to Him. Isn't it more fun when we're all singing together and worshiping God and the worship leaders step away from their microphones and Daryl stops playing and you can feel the power of the voices coming forward? No? I mean, seriously, we're singing that Neil Diamond song. I don't know, every time we sing that song, I think of Neil Diamond. But we're singing that song, you know, I will shout to the Lord. And the first time, like three of us went, whoo. And it was awkward. And then August kind of gave you a little kick in the tushy. And then the next time, wasn't it more fun when we all went, yeah. Isn't it more fun when you're sitting at a game and people are into the game than when people are just going, wow, we won. Isn't it more fun when you're at a concert and people are dancing and laughing and having a great time? Do y'all not go to those concerts? What's wrong with you people? Is this the 930 crowd? Did y'all flip-flop today? Because they were awesome. Maybe it's me. I don't know, Daryl. <laughs> I had a lot more coffee, I guess, at 930. Isn't it amazing? It, it is amazing. When you let God work through you, it is so tremendously, incredibly awesome. I can't even tell you how great it is. When you take a leap of faith and do something that is outside of your comfort zone, like sit on the front row next to the pastor, whatever you do, you move forward in a way that is not in your bag of tricks. God calls you to do something amazing and you're like, God, there's no way I can do this because look at me. Moses couldn't talk, and God made him leader over a nation. 
Isn't it amazing when you step out of your comfort zone and into God's world and let God move through you? If you don't answer yes automatically in your heart and soul and just viscerally it comes forward, yes it is, then you need to move in God's world because you haven't experienced it yet. You haven't taken that leap of faith and stepped out of your comfort zone and allowed God to use the gifts that he's given you and only you to bring the kingdom now. See, this is talking about, you know, Elijah's coming back. He's already come. He prepared the way for the first coming. Guess what? There's a second one. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. But in the meantime, he said, it's your job. It's your responsibility. It's your honor to get to share my love with the world, to get to change the world in the name of Christ. If you don't get fired up about that, stop coming. Oh yeah, I just said that. (laughs) That just happened. But I'm serious. If you don't catch fire for God, then why do you come here to be seen? We can see you at H-E-B. I want you to come here and lose yourself. Now look, every Sunday you may come in and have a bad week. And you may have been beat down by the world. And you just need to come and sit and let the praise of God worship and come over you. And I'm down with that. I've had those weeks. I come in here and I don't want to get up and talk to you people either. You know, and I sit down and I just let the voice come over me. The voices of God is people. That's that's okay. And look, I know not all of you are going to be running up the aisles. We're not that church. I get it. (laughs) Daryl said yet. (laughs) Not everybody can be Joel Harris. Where's Joel? You still here? Did he leave? Good, I can talk about him. Not everybody can be the guy that stands in the front and does this. Right now. 
church recently, and I'm not talking about building a new building, I'm talking about building a kingdom. We've been changing. We're not where we used to be. We're not where we're going yet, but we're not staying here. Because God wants us to go on and to build the kingdom. And he said, right now, let's do something magnificent. Let's do something amazing. Let's get on a chariot of fire and blow people's minds. Why? Because I'm God and we can do that. Because when you operate in God's world, you experience things that are amazing. And yet we want to operate in the way of the world. We want to operate the way we always operate. We want to operate in a way that isn't of God. It's our way. Like we know what's best for our lives. I don't know how many times I have thought of wanting to say to Corbin when he asked me why, because I'm your father and I know better. It's true. It's true. It's true. The disciples were told not to say anything until the resurrection happened. And then they went nuts. We have seen... The cross. We have seen the empty tomb. Why aren't we going nuts? Seriously, y'all got to get some Judaism. Why aren't we going nuts? Time we begin to use it to change this world forever. Because one day he will come back and he will say, Hey, what have you been doing? I have a bumper sticker in my office that somebody gave me years ago. It said, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> it makes me laugh. But in my heart of hearts, I know he is coming. And so I better get busy because I want other people to know what I know. Life with God is better than life without. Finally, we're getting somewhere. <laughs> it's 12.01. I'm not going to ask the words. If you all missed, uh, I got them up here last service. And we did Everlasting again, and it was awesome. I'm not going to do that. I'm asking you to get up and get out. Go. No, seriously, go. Get in the world and bring the love of Christ with you. Go. Get out. 